So Yisro had seven daughters and Moses arrives in Midian. He lands there because he's running away from Egypt. He meets, the, he meets the daughters. He gets married to one of them. He then gets called ultimately decades later to be the one to redeem the Jewish people from Egypt. And now Yisro returns. There's a big reunion. Yesterday we read about this reunion in the Torah portion. Again, the Torah portion is called by his name Yisro, Yitro. And the Torah tells us that Yitro joins the people. Jethro joins the people. And uh, there's a welcome committee. And they eat. And Moses serves food. And he's a good balabas. He's a good host. And they're eating. And they're drinking. And then at some point later, Jethro, Yisro, tells Moses what you're doing, the way you're judging the people. It's not going to work. It's not going to work. There's too many people. Only one of you, and it's just not a pragmatic, it's just not a, not, not a sustainable model. That one person should carry the responsibility for everybody. It's just, it's, it's, it's not. Create a system of hierarchy. We talked about this yesterday, of course, in the reading. Create leaders of thousands, of hundreds, of tens. In other words, have different levels, different level courts, different level, level judges, you know, rabbis, or whatever you want to call it. And the, the, the easier stuff, let them take care of. If the lowest court can't handle it, then a higher court. If not that, a higher court. If no one else knows the answer and it has to go to you, let it go to you. But that is almost the last resort. I don't remember if I said this yesterday clearly, but I wanted to say it. I feel like I started saying it. I don't remember finishing saying it. What was Moses thinking? He couldn't figure out that it makes sense to delegate. What, he was a control freak? I mean, Maybe. But is that what it is? So the way it's explained, maybe I gave one explanation, but maybe I'll give a different one right now. It's that Moses knew that there was a certain truth that he saw, not because he was so smart or so whatever, but because Hashem had given him this gift and this gift of communication with him and direct contact, that he had a certain truth of a perspective that was just true. A clear and true perspective. And others, the other judges, might not have that clarity. And they might decide based on their best guess, almost. And may not get it right. And so the question is, do you sacrifice truth for, shall we say, expediency? I think I'm using that word correctly, yeah? Expediency. Do you sacrifice truth for pragmatic considerations? The pragmatic consideration is, we got to keep the line moving. Right? we got to get people through the line. They can't wait all day, so we're going to give them maybe not the, the truth, the perfect answer, but a workable, a workable answer. Moses felt that everyone deserves perfection. And Jethro says, there's two ways to look at it. Either he says, you're too much of an idealist. you got to be a realist. Too many people, too little time. You're going to burn out. They're going to get burnt out. you got to change it. Or you could say something else. This is how the rubber frame, frames it. A little, a little bit differently. It's not just expediency over truth. Because that sounds like you're compromising. But understanding where the people are at, they are not living in that space of absolute truth with a capital N and capital T. You, Moses, that's your world. Your world is absolute truth, divine communication, and, and perfection. That's your space. And you may want to elevate everyone that comes to you to that space in that moment, and that is a worthy ideal. But where do they live? They live in a world of imperfection. They live in a world of falsehood. And olam, olam de shikra, sheker, 
It's a world of falsehood. We live in a world in which conflict arises and one person says this and they don't mean it and a person lies about that and all this stuff. We don't live in a pure world. So the question is, do you utilize the tools of the world to arrive at a better solution but within that framework or do you transport someone to an entirely different reality altogether? Moses says, let's transport them to another view, a view of truth. And Jethro says, you also have to be relatable. Not only are the lower courts for expediency, not only are the lower courts to keep the line moving, but they also perhaps are a more accurate reflection of where the people are at and maybe what they can relate to. As an ideal, once in a while you go to Moses. But in the, in the practical, the everyday, maybe it's a bit of a different calculation. Does that make sense? Sort of? Ish? Rabbi, yeah. A, so where does, so the Hasidic masters that we've been learning about the past two Mondays, mm-hmm. Where do they fit in in this? I mean, do they have divine communication? Because the, the story we heard last, like the story we heard last night about Rush, right? Uh, Zusha? Yeah. Yeah. So he would, every morning, he wouldn't worry about food. He would say, God, feed me, basically. And so people were wondering, no, he doesn't have divine communication. And the end of the story was he, he didn't really, you know? So, uh, but does he feel he has it? And does he have it? You're asking, you're asking about a tzaddik and a rebbe. And the, answer, the short answer is, at least to a chassid of said rebbe, that yes, a rebbe has uh, uh, some other, some open lines of communication that, that you and I perhaps don't have. Perhaps. Saying you, you might, but I'm saying I'll just speak for myself that I don't have right. A Rebbe has a different different line of, of, of connection. You should know the Talmud says that with the arrival of the second temple period, which is let's just call it 2400 years ago, the era of prophecy ended. The Talmud says that 2400 years ago. That's when the Arab prophecy ended. However, what that means is, as a norm or as a collective, as a widespread thing, prophecy ended. But does that mean that God can't communicate in and through and inspire whatever it is? Individuals? Absolutely. So, so Rebbe's, Rebbe's and Sadiqs. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to vote on the yes on that. As a Chabad Chassid, yes, I am firmly in that in that space. Yeah. Um, okay. There's a lot. It's, you're asking a really good question. There's a lot to talk about on this. You know, it's been said at least. You know, utilizing these types of uh, ways of understanding that Moses was the first Rebbe, not the first Hasidic Rebbe necessarily, but like the first, like that model, that leader, and you know, tzaddik and community. Yeah, on that level of inspiration. Okay. Um, you, you read stories about the Baal Shem Tov, which you probably covered last week in that course. Um, miracles galore. Even the one that I feel that I taught recently, the story about him with the prayer and putting the handkerchief and floating across the water. I mean, you know, that, that's a miracle story. How we understand it and how, okay, that's, you know, it's a miracle story. All right, so that's, uh, I don't think I'm answering, but I'm just, we're talking about the topic. Now, let's jump into the new reading because 
What's fascinating is that there's a follow-up to the conversation, right? Remember that what the conversation is. Yitro says, Jethro says to his son-in-law, hey, Moses, you got you to gotta create lower courts and, um, and that is going to be good. One second. One second. Give me a second here. Let me see where we got up to. Okay, here's where we're going to start. We're going to start at the end of yesterday's reading because I want to highlight an interesting verse. Okay? Yesterday's reading, we did two readings yesterday. One and two because that's our, that's our Monday spiel. We always do one and two. Um, Moses' father-in-law said to him, the thing you're doing is not good. Right? I don't like it. Or not I don't like it, but it is not good. And make it easier by delegating. Okay? Now listen to me. I will advise you. May Hashem be with you. Okay. What is, what is the goal? The goal is to appoint other judges. But look at the criteria and just take a look with me through this. It says, uh, this is father-in-law to son-in-law. Jethro to Moses. You shall choose out of the entire men, out of the entire nation, men of substance. And Shechayel, men of substance. God fears men of truth who hate monetary gain. Four criteria, let's go through them one at a time. Men of substance. And Shechayel, and men of substance. How do you define men of substance? I'm sure there are many ways to define it. Men of substance, good people. Wise, whatever, men of substance. The next is God fears. God fearing means that even when you're alone in a room, you're not going to do something that's untoward because Hashem is watching. In other words, you have a sense of a greater responsibility above what other human beings know or, or find out. Right? Anyone who's ever done something and has done something wrong and said, oh man, I hope no one finds out about this. That's an indication of uh, a room for improvement in your shamayim in, in fearing God. Fearing God means not fear. It's not, a, it's not marked by being afraid. It's not marked by anxiety. That's not healthy. What it's marked by is a sense of reverence to the Almighty that impacts the way we act, even in private, certainly in public, even in private. So men of substance is, is, is criteria number one. God fears criteria number two. Men of truth. That's a good quality for a judge. Criteria three. And finally, who hate monetary gain. People who aren't in, into money too much with the obvious understanding that if your judge is loving money, then they're susceptible to bribery. So hating monetary gain is a plus when it comes to a judge. All right, well, Moses listens. And this takes us into reading number three. Genesis, sorry, Exodus chapter 18, verse 24. Moses obeyed his father-in-law. That's, uh, as we said yesterday, that's, that's, uh, that's, that's cool. Moses listened to his father-in-law. He could have dismissed him. We were talking about this yesterday. He could have said, what do you know? Hey, you haven't been around that, that much. You just arrived and already have ideas. Oh, you know what they say? Uh, it says, Agast. Funavail Zet if a mile, something like that. Which trans the Yiddish, I don't remember how the Yiddish goes. The English is translated, a guest for a while sees 
a mile. That's the English version of it. A while means a short while. A guest for even a short while can see a mile because sometimes we can't see our own stuff because we're too close to the situation. So we can't see it. Takes a fresh perspective, even someone that walks in, right? This is where consultants were born. But you walk in for a minute and you're like, oh, I, I can see some stuff that maybe you're too close to see, but I've got a bit of a, 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 a bigger vision because I'm not stuck in it. Okay. So Moses, to his credit, obviously to his credit, is able to listen to his father-in-law who's got this bigger vision. Great. Moses obeyed his father-in-law and did all that he said. It's good. It's good for Shalom Bayes also. It's good to keep peace in the house, in the mishpacha. And what did Moses do? Moses chose men of substance out of all Israel. And a, but listen to this, listen to this. And appointed them as heads of the people, leaders of thousands, leaders of hundreds, leaders of fifties, leaders of ten, tens. So he appointed the people. He appointed all this leadership. But what did he choose? Anshei chayom, men of substance. Do you remember there were four criteria? This is, this is one of my favorite insights into this, into this story. There were four criteria that the father and his father-in-law suggested. Men of substance. Um, uh, let's look back. I'm forgetting all four. Men of substance. God fears. Men of truth. And people who hate monetary gain. And who does Moses actually choose? Men of substance. What happened to the God-fears, the men of truth, and who ate monetary gain? All right, more or less we got who we needed. More or less. Because, which is the theme for today, you got to work with what you got. If you're, if you're stuck in perfection, it ain't, it never, it's never going to get done. If you're a perfectionist, it's possible that you're never going to move from your spot because it's too perfect. You know, kids in school that are perfectionists might avoid engaging in new learning or new activities or in projects, whatever, because they're afraid they're not going to get it perfectly right. They're not going to get a hundred. So I'll tell you what's the, what, so, so, so make, so make a choice. What do you think is better? Yeah. What do you, what do you and I think is better to take risks and to be okay with not being perfect and even failing or to be so stuck on perfection that we play it safe because we feel like this we know and the stuff that we don't know we're not going to get right and then we're going to be embarrassed and then it becomes about us and how we feel about it and how, which is better. I mean, I'm, it's not a judgment. It sounds like a judgment, but it's not a specific judgment of any, anyone or anything. I think we all have experience of this and experience of that. The point is that overall, I think we would want for ourselves to have more experiences even if it's not perfect. You know, looking back on our lives, would we say, you know, I didn't get that exactly right, so I, I shouldn't have done it or whatever. Yeah, you live life and you do your best. And you're not going to get it perfect. So, so, so Yisro, Jethro, Fadma says to Moses, here are four criteria. Moses, according to the commentators, can't find people, enough people with all four. So what do you do? You shut down the campaign? All right, canceled. I'm back to judging everyone myself. Or do you say, we'll work with what we got. You know what he did? He worked with what he got. The Rebbe sent out shluchim, thousands of shluchim around the world, Chabad, emissaries, and rabbis, Rebbitsons, around the world. Newsflash. Any are perfect. Okay, I don't know why I'm, why I'm throwing everyone under the bus. I speak for myself. There's no perfection here. And so the question is, 
did the Rebbe say, no, I need to find the perfect guy for Atlanta? <laughs> it might be waiting a little while. You work with what you got, right? And you make and you do your best. You work with what you got. You know, like you can get stuck on what you need. Like, no, I, this is what I need to make it work. And you can get stuck on that and fixated. I need men of substance. I need God-fearing men of truth, people who aim monetary gain. I need all four. Can you build your team with one of those criteria? Can you make it work? Can you try? Uh, no, I need all four. Can you try? You might be surprised. It might work. It might be. It's also, excuse me, Rob, it's also yeah. difficult to really know what's inside. Well, that's, all, that's for sure. That's for sure. But the Torah is telling us even objectively, objectively, they weren't perfect. But you know what? It worked. It's the same theme. Moses wanted truth and perfection. And you know what? This wasn't going to be that. But you got to lean into it sometimes. You just got to embrace the imperfection. Got to embrace it. It's, I don't know. It's not an exactly perfectly related story. But it's, it's, it's kind of related. And I love this story. And I've told it before. But I always get enjoyment out of telling this story. Or out of hearing this story. So I'm going to share it again. It was one of the, co or the coach for the Harlem Globetrotters. Back in the 70s or 80s. Jewish guy. My whistle is not, uh, is not working well today. But the Harlem Globetrotters, right? The theme song. Do, 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 do. Anyway, this guy is a Jewish guy. He's watching one night, late night TV. And he finds on a cable, obscure cable channel, finds a live broadcast of a Fabrengen. A, the Rebbe's address, it was a weekday, obviously a weekday, it wouldn't be a, a Shabbos broadcast, a weekday, Fabrengen, um, live, via cable, uh, satellite, cable television, and it, ha it had the Rebbe there speaking in Yiddish with the voiceover, live translation, you know, in English, etc. Wonderful. This guy is so inspired, it's like, Older Jewish guy from New York, tough guy who's like the Harlem Globetrotters guy. I'm going to Brooklyn. He was in Long Island, where it's where he lived, or whatever it is. That's it. And the next day, or two days later, or whatever the timeline is, he heads off to Brooklyn and he says, I need to meet the Rebbe. And they're like, Well, it's a little bit more complicated than that. The Rebbe's got a pretty packed schedule. You know, there's, and anyway, he says, No, I really need to meet him. Whatever, however, the details of that part goes. When eventually he met the Rebbe, the Rebbe said, he said, oh, what did he say? What did he say? I think he like blurted out something like, Rebbe, I'm here and I'm, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a coach or something like that. And without missing a beat, the Rebbe said, perfect. We need a coach. <laughs> it's like, we need, Labav, Chabad needs a coach. We've been missing a basketball coach all this time. A guy with a whistle. We're, we've been missing a coach. That's, that was the Rebbe's attitude. Not that you have to fit into a box, a pre-existing box, and then it works. Wh who, what do you have? We'll make it What do you have? We'll make it work. You're a coach? We need a coach. We need this guy at the Fabrangans was the guy who was like this. I'm going to pull up some videos. I'm going to post some videos for you guys. Um, 
Yeah, I think you showed it to us. He's the only one. He's like standing up. And... Yeah, he's standing up on the bleachers or on the tables, yeah. whatever it is. The coach, Rebbe Farbringen. Let's see if we can find something. The Rebbe's coach. All right, at the end of the class, we'll do it. For you, if you want to stay another 60 seconds. We got a, we got a one minute thing. Yeah. Look, this is the guy. So here's the thing. Jethro says you need four criteria. These are your guys. You know, that's, that's who you're, what you're looking for. And Moses finds people with one. Does he not do it? He doesn't. The message is, it's okay. It's okay. Do your best. It's permission for you and I. It's permission for you and I to be great, to do great and amazing things, even though we know we're not perfect. The greatest Yetzirah is the one that says, the, 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 the negative voice inside is the one that says, oh, you can't do that, you're not perfect. Ay, 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 how often does that get in the way of stuff? Oh, who are you to do that mitzvah? Who are you to, okay, that's, that's not a good, that's, that humility, yeah, that's not kosher humility. It's fake news humility. That's, I'm so humble, I'm not going to do a mitzvah. Wow. That's not humility. That's not kosher humility. That's negative humility. That's just, that's that animal soul and evil inclination just putting on holy garments and looking. That was a halo. That was what I was doing there. Just pretending to be like, oh no, you're really not perfect yet. So anyway, all right, back to the story. Back inside. Let's, uh, let's do this. By the way, the coach, I got him lined up right here. The Rebbe's coach. Okay, back to our story though. So that's what Moses did. He chose these people, men of substance, and they would judge the people at all times. The difficult cases, they would bring to Moses. But any minor case, they themselves would judge. Moses saw his father-in-law off, and he went away to his land. Let's take a look at some Rashi's. Very short reading. We may do the next one also, just to get a little ahead of the game over here. Um, but let's look at Rashi, because the last Rashi throws, gives a little bit of a wrinkle here, in a, in a good way. So uh, Moses sends his father-in-law off. He went, goes back home. What, what happens? Rashi says, to convert the members of his family. This guy was, it's it. He was sold. Chethro, father-in-law of Moses, dad of Tzipporah, grandfather of Moses' kids, that's it. He, 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 he became a member of the tribe. He went back home to tell everyone else, this is what you guys... He was the first Habadnik. Yeah, he's like, let's do it. Let's rally the troops. He goes home. Think about the members of the family. So cool. This guy is cool. He got a Torah portion named after him. He got not only a Torah portion, but the Torah portion that talks about the Torah being given. Like, that's like the Torah portion. I mean, they're all like amazing, but... This is a big one, and it's called Yisra, Jethro. Oh, I think I wanted to talk about why that is. Yeah, that's what I wanted to do now. Okay, here we go. So the question is, because we've got to go a little bit deeper than he was a cool guy, so they named a portion after him. One of the Rebbe's, like, one of our Rebbe's big axioms with regard to Torah study is that when you encounter the name of a Torah portion, you know that it captures the theme of the portion. It's not that as we might think that they just found the word at the beginning and said, oh, we'll call it that. That looks like a nice word. Boom. 
Who does that? Who? No one would. No one would name their novel. Yeah, they worked on a novel for ten years, or even one year, or even a day. Who's gonna name your? Who would name their book after the first word or the first few words, just arbitrarily? And you give a title that's significant. So the Rebbe's argument is, it's not an argument. The Rebbe's like, it's axiomatic. It's like obvious. It's like an inherent truth. If there's a name of the Torah portion, it's not random. It's not just convenient. It's not just private. The name is thematically sound. The name is, the name works. It's got to work for the whole Torah portion. If this Torah portion is called Yitro or Yisro, Jethro. It can't just be because the Torah portion opens up with his story of his arrival and his advice and then segues into like the big theme. It can't be. Because then why did you overlook the big theme for the little theme? Oh, because it was first? Come on. That's not giving God enough credit. If there's a name of a Torah portion, it's got to be because that's the whole theme. So how is the theme of the giving of the Torah at Sinai, revelation at Sinai, Ten Commandments, how is that Yitro? And we've answered the question, which is why I was reminded to say this, because we just answered the question. Yitro represents absolute transformation. Here's a guy that didn't grow up in it, you know, dabbled in, not only dabbled, just, he was well-versed in everything. And yet he decides, this is it. I found it. This is the ultimate transformation. A guy who's totally out there in the world and who says, no, you know, I'm embracing monotheism. I'm embracing Hashem. That's big. That's huge. And that's really the message of Torah. The message of Torah is that Torah should be transformative in the world. So I should probably explain what I mean by that. Torah is not, is not here to tell us theories. It's not a philosophy. It's not a theology. It's not telling us about God or even about creation or about history. It's not what Torah is. It's not what Judaism is. Judaism is less a religion and more a life guide. An instruction book for life. That's what Torah is. That's what Judaism is. It's about how to live our lives in a holier way. Not disconnected holy, but like in a more menschy way, more connected way, more meaningful way. Living a more meaningful life, straight up. That's what, or living a meaningful life. That's, that's Torah. But it's about, it's about life. It's about this. It's about transformation. It's about taking a person and inspiring them to become a mensch. Taking a human and making them a mensch. And the reason why I say human and mensch, because when somebody messes up, the refrain might be, the response might be, well, they're only human. Some scandal, scandal happens. Somebody does something they shouldn't have done. It breaks. And people say, oh, what do you want? He's only human. Just because he's the this, you don't think he's human? He's human. Everyone's human. He's got human uh, desires, human tendencies. He's human. We use the word human to kind of, you know, shrug our shoulders and throw up our hands. What do you expect? He's only human. She's only human. They're only human. I'm only human. 
In Yiddish, there's another word for human, and that is a mensch. And a mensch is not an excuse to not throwing up your hands. A mensch is an aspiration. Mensch is don't follow your human tendencies. Be a mensch. Yeah, the mensch at Malden Mills. Remember that guy? Did I speak about him recently? The guy whose factory burnt down and who still paid all his factory workers for months out of his own pocket? Guy in Boston? Jewish guy? Yeah, this guy went on his own dime and just paid it because he wasn't going to leave his people. What's that? Would you say this guy, Aaron Feuerstein, yeah, he supported his workers. He's only human. You would never say that. That's not the phrase. It doesn't come out of the mouth. You say, oh, that guy's a, he's a mensch. 60 minutes. Tick, 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 tick. 60 minutes. They called him the mensch of Malden Mills. The mensch. They call him a mensch. Because a mensch doesn't mean human. You could look up the translation. It might mean mensch could be human. That's not what it means. A mensch means beyond human. Right? There's now beyond meat. This is beyond human. A human is failure. Beyond human Beyond human. Sorry. Human is giving in to, to natural tendencies. Mensch is beyond human. Mensch is battling the, 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 the tendencies. This is what Torah, this is what Judaism comes to challenge us toward. Judaism and Torah is designed to help us live a more menschy life, to be more of a mensch. Which means, in other words, to transform who we are, to become a better person. Who symbolizes transformation on the ground? Somebody who heard something, heard the, new, heard the news about the Jewish people. Obviously, he has mishpacha, that's related, right? His son-in-law, his daughter, his grandkids. But this, he decides, that's it, I'm going to change my life. I'm going to transform myself. For this, that's Yisrael. So the Torah portion is named after him because the point of Torah is not to be abstract, it's to be transformative. It's not to be in the heavens, it's meant to be on the ground. I hope that makes sense. Okay. So what part of, what, in what time frame were the headings given to the portions? Great question. I don't know, but it's been, it's been a while. I believe there are references in the Talmud. Not I believe, I'm sure that there are references in the Talmud to the names of the Torah portions. So whether or not they came from Moses at the beginning, this I don't know. Likely not. I believe there's even some discussion slash dispute amongst the rabbis about when exactly you know, it began, or what the origin and who originated it. But the Rebbe would say many times, it doesn't actually matter. Minhag Yisrael Torah. If it's a Jewish custom, it's got the status of Torah. In other words, it's like, if it's an accepted custom, might as well be, you know, Tradition, tradition is meaningful. Tradition means something. So the fact that in all circles of Jewish life, <coughs> this Torah portion is not called Matan Torah, Torah giving. No, it's called Yitro, means something. <coughs> and it means that there's a connection to the giving of the Torah. The whole purpose of Torah is transformation. Here's a guy that raised his hand and said, I'm inspired and I've been transformed. That's big. It's an inspiration to us, to all of us. In our own lives, have we done something like that? 
It's not a, it's not a, I'm not, it's not, I'm not throwing negative. I'm throwing challenge, right? In a good way, positive challenge. <clears throat> Look at someone who totally transformed their life, whether Yisrael or anybody, anybody else. Jewishly, not Jewishly, it doesn't make a difference. Someone who really did a transformation. And then ask yourself the following question, or I'll ask myself the following question. Have I experienced that type of transformation in my life? Or has my life been kind of, you know, more or less steady? Small challenges. But... I mean, I think of this, right? We speak about kosher, tefillin, Shabbos candles. And I think about this. Someone who wasn't, someone who that's not part of their upbringing. Like they weren't, they didn't grow up with, with these things as being a given. So to do it is like, it's a brand new thing. So I ask myself the question, what have I done Jewishly that's brand new? Easy to say, right? It's easy to tell someone else what to do. Not that I, not that I, I try not to preach, I'm just saying, you know, but I'm saying it's, I, this is, these are, th- you know, it's easy to say, you know, sure, do this. Have I done this myself? And maybe in some areas, yes, maybe in some areas not. I, I'm not, I'm not trying to, I'm, what I'm trying to say, oh, see you, Sandrine. What I'm trying to say is that when you encounter a Yisro, it's inspirational. You encounter a guy like this, living a good life in Midian, well-respected, well-versed. He's got his own stuff going on. He's got his worldview and religious perspectives and, you know, his things. And he says, you know what? I'm giving it all up. That's, that's inspirational. And the and it, it demands, or, or it could demand. The question is, so what, what, is there something that I can transform? And Torah is all about transformation. It doesn't have to be huge, just even, even something. Even, even something, anything. Okay, so that's a little, yeah, Ray. Um, okay, so I know such a person. Uh, she actually converted from another religion. Um, they tried to discourage her, gave her a list of books to read. She read them. She kept coming back for more, for more, for more. She has gone to, um, gone to the level of having written wow. um, studies that Rabbi Feldman wants her to have published in our school. She is wow. absolutely brilliant. What do we have in common? I don't know. We became really good friends. Uh, she's amazing, amazing. She doesn't stop. That's amazing. And she truly, it's very... There you go. See? Modern day inspiration. And it's really, you know, when we encounter someone, you know, this is obviously one example of, of a very similar example to our Torah portion. But there are many examples of people doing extraordinary things and challenging themselves and, you know, and it's very inspirational. But more than just, oh, that's good for them, the question is always about us. So, okay, so what, what can I do? What, what am I, how will I challenge myself to also do something, perhaps, like, relative to me that's transformational? What, what, what would that look like for myself? Everyone can ask that question. Okay. All right, thank you for sharing. Beautiful. All right, let's continue. Let's do a little bit more. Let's, we'll, we'll start the next reading, even, even a few verses. All right, reading number four. This is, be, this is oh, it's a short reading also. Okay, so we'll, we'll, let's, I think we can get this in. The Torah now segues 
to the giving of the Torah at Sinai experience and introduces it by talking about the arrival of the Jewish people in the Sinai Desert, near Mount Sinai. Here we go. In the third month of the children of Israel's departure from Egypt, so this is now month three. Let's, let's be very clear on timeline. It was the 15th day of the first month, Nisan, that the exodus occurred. So stay with me. Month one, day 15. Halfway of the first month. So that's about 15 days to the end of that month. Another 30 days for the next month, second month year. And now we're in Rosh Chodesh of that third month. Sivan, Nisan, year, Sivan. So we're talking about 30 plus 15 plus 1. 45, 46 days, or maybe a little less, depending on the day. I'm counting days as 30 days, month is 30 days, a little bit less, is like 28, 29 days, whatever. I'd say around 40 days-ish. No, it would be, sorry, it would be like 42 days or so. So it was the third month of the children of Israel's departure from Egypt. On this day, they arrived in the desert of Sinai. And of course, the commentators point out, why does it say this day? It should say that day. On that day, they arrived. It's telling us about something that happened in the past. On that day, on this day, this makes it current. You know why? Because it is current. Even though the Torah was given 3,333 years ago. 3,333, that should be easy enough to remember. Although that's true, it's also re being re-given every single year, every single day, every single moment. It's an ongoing experience. That's what the Torah says. On this, yeah, technically then it was the third month of whatever that, but it's on this day they arrived in the desert of Sinai, on this day. Let's continue. They journeyed from Rafidim. That was the previous stop. And they arrived in the desert of Sinai. And they encamped in the desert. And then Israel encamped there opposite the mountain. What mountain? The Sinai mountain, Mount Sinai. By the way, it says, Vayichan Sham Yisrael Negrahar. Vayichan Sham Vayichan. Which translates literally as he camped there. Not they camped there, not they the people, but he. It says they. I'm just telling you. That's not what the Hebrew grammar says. It says he, not they. By the way, he is in they. Just so you know, he is there also. But it says they, not he. So what does it mean? Rashi says, Vayichan sham, Yisrael negrahar. He encamped there, ki'ish echad belev echad, like one man with one heart. They're described in the singular as one being because at that point they were so attuned, they were so present with what was about to transpire, the giving of the Torah at Sinai, that they were like one man with one heart, like the unity of one individual alone was the unity of these millions of people having a shared, getting ready for a shared, unifying experience. Moses ascended to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, So shall you say to the house of Jacob, that's the women, House of Jacob, Beit Yaakov, in fact, till today, the Jewish girls' school, big network of Jewish girls' schools is called Beit Yaakov, Beit Yaakov, House of Jacob, that's the girls, 
women, females, and tell also the sons of Israel, tell the boys, tell the guys, tell the ladies and tell the men, ladies and gentlemen, ladies first, God has good manners. <coughs> God tells Moses, first go to the women and then go to the men. Why? I said good manners, which is true. Also, number two, <coughs> I didn't know this until recently. Did you guys know this? When you're addressing a formal invitation, if it's a, if it's a couple, you put the, 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 um, the wife before the husband. Is this true? Yeah? Like Leia and Ari Solish as opposed to Ari and Leia Solish? This is what I hear. I heard this. It's the formal way of doing it. I don't know. I'm not... Well, uh, I also think because in, like, as in that example, I mean... You know, it's your name, Ari Solish, and then Leia took your name. So. Maybe, maybe. I, I thought it was like maybe like, you know, ladies first type thing. I'm not sure. I just find it interesting. It's like an etiquette thing. Um, there used to be a column in the newspaper about, you know, people would ask, you know, etiquette questions and whatever. Whatever. Dear maybe they're Abby. So along those lines. Um, Remember, I have a Okay, Ray, great to see you. Yes, you let me know. No worries. And check the email because uh, we'll talk about this stuff. Okay, we'll see you. Feel good. All right, so back, so quickly back to, the, back to the story. So God says to Moses, it's about the Torah, about what's going to happen in the next few days. Tell the women and then tell the men. And women are first here because, first of all, the women were always more ready to go for this. Not more ready to go. They were ready to go. The men, when are we going to eat? Ah, it's too cold. Ah, it's too hot. Ah, yeah, just always fetching. It's always the men. So go to the women. You have, you're going to, you're, you're talking to your base. This is going to be an easier sell. Also, the other idea, the other notion that's shared about this is, on a very practical level, women are always considered in Judaism to be more influential than men. Even though historically that's maybe not the way all societies have, or societies have kind of panned out, but in Judaism, the idea of influence, there's a, there's a power in the influence, and in the feminine influence, let's say, over the masculine influence. Well, one influences and one just pushes. I mean, if you think about modality, it doesn't mean a man can't do it this way or a female can't do it that way. But the point is that there's a feminine energy, and this is discussed in Kabbalah at length, and then there's a masculine energy. The feminine energy is a consensus, a conversation, an understanding, uh, education, that type of cultivation, cultivating. And the masculine model, again, not all men, not all women, but the masculine model is, let me just ram this idea through. Bit of a different model. So God says to Moses, first speak to the women. Because already then the, the men are going to get on board. You get the women on board and then through the influence, you'll speak to the men, but they'll also speak to the men. It's going to make it, it's going to make it a little bit easier. Just FYI, that's what the commentary said. All this is, I'm taking multiple commentaries and kind of weaving a narrative. Now let's continue. Verse 4. A few more verses left. Give me three more verses and we're, and we're going to close it out today. You have seen, says God to Moses, uh, sorry, God says to Moses, tell the people, you people, have seen what I did, God did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to me. I carried you like, a, like an eagle carries the baby, carried you to safety over through the sea and against Amalek and through the plagues and all that stuff. And now, 
God says to Moses to tell the people, if you obey me and keep my covenant, you shall be to me a treasure out of all peoples. Lease a segula, segula, treasure. For mine is the entire earth. And, and you shall be to me a kingdom of princes and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall, God then turns to Moses and once again summarizes and says, these are the words that you shall speak Children of Israel. Basically, it's a bit of a, I'm not going to say hard sell. I don't think it's a hard sell. I think it's a, an encouraging sell. God says, essentially, I want to give you the Torah, but it's not going to be force. It's got to be consent. You got to want it. I'm asking you to want it. Please want it. Please want it so that we're, we're good with this relationship. And you should know, if, if, you, if I offer it and you want it, we're going to have a special relationship. A unique relationship. Doesn't mean others don't have relationship. Everyone has a relationship with God. Everyone has a direct relationship. This is going to have its own unique flavor. It's going to be unique. Vis-a-vis Torah, vis-a-vis Judaism. It's going to be a unique relationship. So I, I'd like for you to say yes. God is basically telling Moses to tell the people, I'd like for you to say yes. And they do, as we'll see tomorrow. Spoiler alert, they do. They say, yes, we're in. And... The story unfolds. Um, what's the moral of the story today? I feel like we did a lot of important themes. We talked about challenging ourselves, transformation, Yisrael's transformation being a, uh, the theme of Torah and other themes. And it's good to have a coach. Oh, that was the other theme. You don't have to be perfect because you have something that no one else has. You're a coach. You're this, you're that. Whatever you are, you have something unique that no one else has. So maybe you don't have all the qualities. Who has? Who can check all the boxes? Who's this Superman or Superwoman that can check all the boxes? Okay, I know Donnie asked before about a Rebbe. Okay, aside from a Rebbe at Sadiq, who's checking all the boxes? We're not checking. So then we should feel bad. We have something unique that's something that we can contribute. So along these lines, let's take a look at the coach. Let's go. Let's, let's have some fun with this, uh, let's, uh, with this nostalgia. Let's see. Preview. By the road, Jewish media. What do we want to do? Let's do Jewish media. Let's see what that takes us. YouTube. Beautiful. Hold on one second. One second. One second. One second. One second. Let me stop sharing. Let me share again, but this time optimize it for the audio. Okay? This, this, should, this should be better. Okay, I'm going to try again. Actually, give me a second. Hold on. Hold on. Let's see if this works. Can you guys see the YouTube video? Yes. Okay, great. This should work. I hope it does. Tell me if you can hear the audio as it goes. If not, I'll try it a third time. But it's only a 60-second clip, so here we go. Yeah. We used to write to the Rebbe very often about his feelings and what he was going through. Despite of whatever he was going through, copy quotes, you couldn't know. Anybody who saw him at the Fabrain would think that life was peaches and cream. Everything was beautiful for him. Nicht nur das Tornet Onrinen in Meisern in der Simcha von Mitzvah. Wie Tewa, Tewa Seche, der Simcha von Kolmasecho, Bechol Dochecho, 
אומר, אדרא בסדר זין תהיסא נוהג מן החשן, בשעס מייסא זו לשם הוב נשמחו בצלס אמס ולן, בצלס השמחה מית. That's, I, that's great stuff right there. That's great. This guy. I don't remember his name. He was the coach. You know what? Let me, let me quickly, because I have the Google. The Google? Who says that? Um, I, have the, I have my search from when I originally searched it when I got the video. But let me see if I can find it. Abe Sachs. A-B-E, Abe and Sachs. S-A-C-K-S. So, Rabbi, I know we spoke about this in the past, but so is there any, like, search committee ongoing for, for, the, for a new... For Let's put it this way. We have enough inspiration. <coughs> we have enough inspiration to go around. So... That's true. We're, yeah. we're good, yeah. I mean, I, uh, who knows? It's not... Guess what? Breaking news. Chabad.org has a new homepage. Oh, yeah? Is this, yeah, legit? Redesign, yes. Wow, fancy. Let's check it out. Chabad.org. Okay. Uh, okay, yeah, l a little box here. Got it. Cool. Con yeah, big content boxes. Big content. Boxes. I like it. Yeah. I like it. I like it. Um, good. Um, I cannot find... What I'm looking for. Abe Sachs is his name. Yeah, he would stand on tables. He would be head and shoulders above everybody. And he was just... I found an article, the Harlem Globetrotters coach who loved the Rebbe. It's beautiful. That just that, that title is beautiful. Okay. Um, yeah. Great to see everybody. All right, so... Soundtrack musical event, remember, is pushed off to, is moved to next month, February 20th. Um, otherwise, next week we're starting the new meditation series, which is absolutely fire. Fire is a good thing in this context. It's, that's what all the kids are saying. It's, uh, it's fantastic. Um, starts next Tuesday night, a week from tonight, January 25th. Definitely sign up for it. Let others know about it. Anybody that you know that's into a little spirituality or meditation or yoga, or mindfulness, anything like this. This is, the, the, this is going to be the authoritative Jewish perspective on all the above. This is like when anyone ever wonders or asks, oh, what does Judaism think about that? Meditation, you know, Buddhism, yoga, all that stuff. This is it. This is where you want to be. I'm just saying, this is where you want to be, and this is where others want to be. So help share the word. It's going to be a tremendous experience. Wonderful. Great to see you all. Joy, and Dina, and Olia, and Sarah. Great to see you all. Have a wonderful day. Take care. Thank you, everybody. You too. Pleasure. Bye, guys.